Well, good morning, South Oaks Church. So glad that you're here today. Uh, praise God for the awesome time in his presence already. Uh, today we do begin our new series on Job, Faithful in Crisis. So get out your Bibles and turn to Job. Job is the book right before Psalms, so it's near the center of your Bibles. Uh, Job is right before Psalms. So uh, go ahead and turn to Job's, Job 1. And uh, I'm just going to say for the next three weeks, uh, looking at being faithful in crisis, that's something that's very timely, I believe, for all of us here. And central to the book of Job is the question of human suffering. Especially it looks at why do people that seem to be righteous, that seem to be innocent, that seem to be following God, why do those people suffer? Today we can think of blessing as a, a sign of God's favor on us because the scriptures talk about God's blessing being poured out on us when we live righteous lives, right? Yep. Yeah, but can we suffer and still be close to God and still be righteous? Yes, for sure, because the Bible talks about this aspect of our lives as well. We endure trials. We endure testing. Is it difficult sometimes? Oh, yeah. Yes. We suffer even when we're following close to Jesus. We sometimes even feel like uh, maybe giving up. If it gets really hard, you wonder, what on earth can I do? We begin to wonder if God is still with us. And if we're not careful, we can lose faith. What can we learn from Job, though, as we look at this, about how to come through these times of trouble, how to be faithful in these times of crisis? So Job 1, let's start at verse 1 and read the first few verses here. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Um, we're seeing that uh, uh, Job lived in the land of Uz. We're seeing that uh, this location, if you look it up in the, on Google, you can't figure out where it is. But they're thinking it's somewhere in the northwestern part of Arabia. And Job probably lived after the time of the flood because later in further chapters you see he makes a reference to the flood at one point. And he's probably before Abraham because it doesn't mention anything about the law yet. So uh, somewhere in there, probably closer to the time of Abraham, is when uh, Job lived. And it tells us here he's a righteous man. This man is upright, it says. He does what is right. Uh, blameless. If you look at the Hebrew there, it means that he was a man of integrity. He feared God. He worshiped God in all that he did with his life. And he shunned evil, means he turned away from evil. He didn't want anything to do with evil. So this guy is a good man. Job was the kind of man that probably would be at church every Sunday. And there, no doubt he was a leader in the spiritual community he was part of. The blessings of God were on him. He had a large family, 
and large amounts of wealth. It tells us that he had seven daughters, uh, pardon me, seven sons and three daughters. 7,000 sheep. That's a big herd of sheep. 3,000 camels. I don't know why you need that many camels, but he had 3,000 of them. He had 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. And it tells us that he was the greatest man of the people of the East. So this guy had some prestige in with his wealth, but he was a righteous man. Then it tells us that his sons took turns throwing parties for the family. Uh, in their homes. Uh, these were big feasts and drinking banquets. Uh, several days apparently because it said when the feast had run its course in verse 5. So that means that uh, it went on for several days. So these people really enjoyed all that they had. And when the feasting was over, Job would make arrangements to have them purified, it says. Uh, he'd sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them early in the morning. Just in case. Just in case his children had sinned and cursed God during all of the banquet and all of the feasting, just in case they'd said something that wasn't right, he wanted to take care of it. Exodus 20, 24 tells us, Make an altar of the earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. See, Job, he knew this principle even before it was written in the law. He wanted his family to continue to be blessed. And so he offered these burnt offerings for them. The burnt offering completely burned the animal. The burnt offering signifies death to self. It's a complete surrender of that animal, a complete surrender of the person giving that offering. And its purpose is to renew the relationship between a holy God and a sinful man. And Job knew the importance of this for his family and for his children. Well, let's continue on in verse 6. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. It's a curious kind of situation here. Satan comes before God with the angels. It says as they present themselves before the Lord, which could also mean they come and they take their places, they station themselves before the Lord, and Satan comes in with them. Satan, whose name in Hebrew means the accuser, has nothing good, only accusations to say to the Lord. And we know he's this uh, accuser because of other scripture in the Bible, one of which is this one in Revelation 12, 10, which is talking about Satan. And it says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, and it's saying this about Satan, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God 
and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So though the devil accuses us before the Lord God day and night, the good news is that at the time God has appointed, there's going to be an end to that. So what can we do in the meantime about the accuser? Not listen to him. Walk away. Yeah. We can rest assured that our heritage from the, is from the Lord. And when we follow Jesus Christ, that Jesus stands at the right hand of God. So no matter what the enemy is saying about us before God, Jesus stands at the right hand of God and defends us and intercedes for us. Romans 8.34 says, Who then is the one that condemns? No one. So this scripture is saying, You know that guy that's condemning you? Who is it? That's no one. There's no power in that, right? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So we know that whatever the enemy is saying about us to the Lord, Jesus intercedes for us. Whatever the enemy is accusing us in our minds, saying stuff to us that's a lie, Jesus is interceding for us on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. In Job 1 verse 7, it tells us that the Lord asks him, where have you come from? Now God knows where he's come from. This is just for our benefit, I'm sure, to see the tactics of the enemy. They're being revealed by this question that God says. He answers that he's going to and fro on the earth, back and forth. And in that Hebrew, it has a sense of kind of crawling around, creeping around, looking around. These are the same words that's used in the book of Genesis when it's talking about the curse that God puts on the serpent who is also representative of Satan and he commands him that he's going to go on his belly and crawl around and so this is kind of like what what the enemy is doing it's kind of like an evil serpent crawling around on the earth looking for for things to uh, get people with and Satan can only do what God has given him authority for and here we see he's doing just that. He's roaming to and fro on the earth. The Lord has allowed him to do that. And the interesting thing, he's looking for people he can prey on. And Job, apparently, to this time, has been off limits. And God says a peculiar thing here. He says, have you considered my serpent Job? Servant Job. There we go. <laughs> Have you considered my servant Job? I was talking about the wrong guy for a minute. Anyway, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is not what God is. God is not tempting uh, Satan here to go after Job, is he? No, he's saying, while you've been cr crawling around, going to and fro on the earth, I've noticed, have you been considering him? Because he knows he has been. Satan's been looking for a way to get at Job, and he has not been successful. And God says, have you been considering him? Because there's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. He fears God and shuns evil. So he's saying, yeah, you've been looking at him, but this man is not sinning. This man is upright and righteous. He is a man of integrity. And Satan says, ah, yes, but... He doesn't fear God for nothing because so far you've been protecting him. There's this hedge around him and around his household and all he has. You have kept him off limits. 
And that's true when we follow Jesus Christ and live righteous lives. The word of God tells us that we do have protection from the enemy. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. This is a promise to us. And this promise even goes to the national level that when we follow God, there is a protection from the attacks of the enemy when we follow him. Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2 says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. See, when we do what God asks us to do, his word says that there is blessing. There is favor. The favor of the Lord is upon us. But in Psalm 34, 7, remember the second half of that verse says, and he delivers them. So in other words, from time to time, there is some stuff we go through, but we can rest on the word of God that he will deliver us. Satan knew this. He was unable to touch Job unless God gave him permission. So he asked God to remove the hedge. Verse 11, he says, But stretch out your hand and strike all he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So why did Satan think that Job would curse God? He thought that Job was serving him because of the blessing that he received from God. Yeah. Essentially, as long as there was a payoff, he figured Job would follow him. Essentially, as long as there was a payoff, he figured Job would follow him. Yeah. So if Job's security was in those things that he had, things other than God, that would be catastrophic, wouldn't it? Everything attacked by the enemy. It would pull him away from God. But just like we read earlier in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We've looked at this verse before, and this is true, that Job was not living his life, apparently, as we will find out later, just looking at the things he had. He was looking at God. So if you're letting a crisis or a pandemic or fear pull you away from God if you aren't trusting in him to get you through, to deliver you, then hear this. In Isaiah 50, verse 10, it says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. The darkness of the world today is no match for the name of the Lord. No match for the light of God. We can trust in the name of the Lord. We can rely on our God. That word rely is an awesome word. When you look at the original language there, it means in Hebrew to lean on, to support oneself. We can rely on the name of the Lord. We can lean on the name of Jesus Christ. You can support yourself by his name. You can support your faith on the name of Jesus Christ. Then God gives Satan permission to mess with Job. He says, okay, everything he has is in your hands. Don't touch him. 
don't lay a hand on this person, but everything else, do with it as you wish. And the next thing we read then is that Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He went right to it, apparently. As soon as he had permission, he left. He went right away to make plans to attack Job. So let's read what happened, starting in verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, Yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So it starts out and says, one day. So Satan apparently looked for the one day when he thought it would be the most devastating against Job. He's pretty crafty. He's pretty smart. He's looking for our weak times to attack us too when he thinks we're the most vulnerable. So we need to be ready. We need to be wearing that armor of God to be ready to be protected against his attacks. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when that day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. See, we don't know when that day of evil will come in our lives. We must be ready to stand in that armor of God, that faith, all of the righteousness, all, all of the, the shield, the, the weapons that he gives us, the sword of the spirit. We need to have all of that on us. Read about that in Ephesians 6 and really make sure you daily pray through that and ask God to cover you in his mighty armor because we don't know when that day of evil will come. We have to be ready. Our faith has to be ready. One day it came to pass that all of Job's children were at the oldest brother's house and they were all feasting, consuming large amounts of food. They were drinking wine. They were living their lives as normal, not knowing what was about to happen. And then the disaster began. The first messenger comes to Job and says, Oh, all of your oxen and donkeys have been carried off by the Sabaeans. And this is the nation of Sheba. All the servants were killed except me, and I'm here to tell you. And while he's still speaking what happened, the second messenger runs up and says, Oh, fire fell from the sky. It must have been lightning or something. It burned all of your sheep and all of the servants except me. 
And while he is still speaking, the third messenger runs up and says, all the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. And they killed all the servants except me. I was able to escape to come to tell you. Then the fourth messenger says, a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house of your oldest son. Sounds like a tornado, doesn't it? It collapsed on your children. They're all dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Four messengers, one right after the other, with no time in between to even catch a breath. Sometimes it seems like this in our life, too. It seems that bad news keeps piling up. We hardly have time to process it before the next thing happens. And it's at times like this we might say, what is going on here? Where is God in all of this? God, where are you? Job's response to all of these disasters is to tear his robe and shave his head. Both of these are signs of extreme grief, signs of mourning in that culture. And then he fell to the ground and worshipped. That's amazing, isn't it? In the middle of all of this grief and loss of his family and wealth, everything except his wife, he worshiped. He worshiped God. How often do we do that? In the middle of pain, in the middle of loss, in grief, do we fall down and worship the Lord God? And verse 22 says, in all of this, all of these terrible things that just happened, Job did not sin by accusing God of doing wrong. He didn't get offended by what had happened and cursed the name of the Lord. There are situations that will happen in our lives where if we're not careful, we can believe the lie of Satan and get offended at God and wonder where was he and why didn't he do something about this and think it's our right because scripture says God will protect us, so why is this happening? We think that God made a mistake, or we doubt that God loves us. But Job said, I didn't come into the world with anything, and I'm not going to leave with anything when I die. The Lord give, gave it to me, and now he's taken it away. May the name of the Lord May the name of the Lord be praised. What a great faith. In this crisis where many of us might crumble and turn our back on God, he praises the name of the Lord God. So how did Job, Job do this? Well, it was his faith in God before for the crisis that got him through the crisis. He knew who God was. He knew of the faithfulness of God, and he knew that God would get him through. It wasn't those sacrifices, it wasn't those burnt offerings that helped him to praise God. It was his life seeking after God and following him, being a man of integrity, seeking the Lord, and shunning evil. 
First Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, trials and fiery ordeals, while we might not like it, they are a part of our lives, even when we follow Jesus Christ. So, that sounds hard to accept in some ways. So how do we get through that? How do we get through these times? How do we have faith in crisis? The first thing is we want to place our faith in Jesus Christ, not on the things, not on the situations, not on family or anything else. Those are all good things, possibly. But what we want to make sure is that our faith is alone in Jesus Christ, not in things or people. Like we said, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That has to be where our faith is. And second, look to Jesus for your strength. We can try and muscle up the courage. We can try and Google it and do all kinds of things to try and get through stuff. But really where our strength has to come from is from Jesus Christ. Psalm 29, 11 says, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Remember that word rely? You can rely on Jesus Christ. You can lean your faith on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will give you the strength that you need. Psalm 146, 7 and 8 says, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bound, bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. See, his word promises that when we're going through stuff, he's going to get us through. He's going to lift us up. He's going to give us what we need to get through those tough times. He's going to provide for us. So the third thing, after we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, when we're getting our strength from the Lord God, is to trust God for the outcome. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's victory in the Lord Jesus Christ when we follow him. Even though you come through tough times, at the end of it is victory. Like it says in Psalm 23, even though we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, we're going to get to the end where the Lord blesses us, where he has us sit before him at the table and pours oil upon our head. This is what will come from following Jesus Christ is victory. That's how Job was able to worship God. Even when it seemed that the favor of God on his life had gone. Because he knew that victory in that situation was from the Lord God. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. A sacrifice of praise. That's what Job offered. The time when it really is a sacrifice is a time when all is not well, when we're going through those difficult things then it is a sacrifice of praise. And yet we praise our Lord in those tough times and worship Jesus Christ. And that sacrifice is the sweet aroma to the Lord of what we give him in our praise. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's the key. When it seems the favor of the Lord is gone, don't listen to the lie of the enemy. It's not. In those tough times, the Lord is with you if we will just hang on to him. Like we said, or like we read in our prayer time this morning, that we cling to the Lord God. We cling to him. We can do all through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Would you stand with me as we close? Like we said, uh, it's not that we don't have trials. God does bless us for sure. And we could list blessings for hours here with the group here of how God has blessed us, how God has protected us, how God has saved us. But there are sometimes some (coughs) trials we go through. Just ask you to bow your head and just... Consider this, how many of you need to really begin to rely, to lean upon the Lord for your strength, for your hope? Just raise your hand. If you want to rely on the Lord, to lean upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, just raise your hand. Thank you. And if you want to be ready for what comes your way, if you want to be ready by wearing that armor of God, the, the spiritual stuff he has given us, standing in the power of the Lord, ready for the attack of the enemy, ready for the trials and the testings in your life. If you want to be wearing that armor of God and you say, today I want to make that stand, that I, I want to be ready, just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you for this example of Job of how in the middle of all of this horrible stuff happening, the loss of his family, the loss of just about everything he had, the loss of his wealth, that still he praised you. Lord God, I pray that in the middle of whatever we're facing today, Lord, that we would praise your name, that we would follow you, that would, we would lean upon you for the strength we need. Lord, that we would see that in you we have what we need to get through. Thank you, Lord God, that we can be ready. Not that we're thinking we're going to just do it in our own power, but we're going to be ready because we're living in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, whatever difficulties we're going through. We just receive all you have for us, Lord God. And we receive the strength of the Lord for our lives. We thank you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Would you please be seated? We're going to take communion before we close the service. And we're going to have a time of ministry. If you're going through something that's really tough, and you would like some prayer, then we want to pray for you today. But Pastor Steve and Pastor Jacques, if you'd come up and we'll have that time of communion together. Close off our service here. 
Lord God, I thank you that you've touched bodies. It's It's been Pastor Steve and me who have been kind of used for part of that, but Lord, it, it really is you. So Father, I pray that you would continue to heal, continue to renew and restore, continue to uh, help those who are looking to you for help. So Lord God, we just thank you and we praise your name. Just like Job, we praise you. May the name of the Lord Jesus be praised. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and mind in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.